Jesse, open your mouth. Spread your legs. Clear. Welcome to Dog in the Yard. It's your boy Pistol Pete. Today we're gonna look at the second part of the Jossie Roy interview. It's official. It was so legend that we had to hit you with that part two. With all further ado, you know, um, I want to get to it. But I know y'all don't see my co-host on here today. You know, he's asking already. You know what I mean? Sometimes you gotta take that walk. Sometimes by yourself in the yard. You know what I'm saying? I did 17 years, and I know how it is to walk around the yard by yourself sometimes. You know what I'm saying? So, with that being said, let's excuse my co-host and all that for not being here today. But you already know how I'm going to hold it down. Like I've been doing it. It's your boy Pistol, man. Getting at you. You already know. Dog in the yard. Man, I want to just take the time out to thank my guys up there, Jake and Ben, for doing an amazing job with this pen. This is that Dom CBD pen. These guys took their time doing this pen. It tastes great. They do them three different flavors. Berry, mint, and mango. My favorite is berry, just to let you know, guys. You know, I know a lot of people out there dealing with pain, you know, dealing with anxiety, the way I deal with anxiety. And I'm telling you guys, it works for me. If you want to place your order today, you're more than welcome. Just hit up domecbd.co, punch in the code, dog in the yard, and you get your 15% off early. So for those people that's out there that's going through it right now and is stressed out in the house that don't smoke marijuana, trust me, my brothers. This CBD pimp does it all, man. Place your order today, man. It's your boy Pistol Pete, Dog in the Yard. You already know. Dog in the Yard, your boy Pistol. You already know we got Jossie in the building. To get blazed so hard for the first time at such a young age and you're naive and immature and you can't really think and you can't even really measure the depth of the trouble that you got in, it's, it, it jolts the soul. He did 31 years in prison. When you get slammed like that and you sitting in the courtroom and when they came back with a verdict of guilty, only a tear just ran down my eye. Straight from Brooklyn. You come from the hood and you know blood is shed, but when you see it up close, like on some gladiator stuff, like on television, it's a whole nother animal. This is a horror story and this is real. You can lose your life in the blink of an eye tomorrow over food. There was no room for slip ups. You know, there was no room for weakness. It was no room or you would get eaten. Welcome to the show. Mm. I learned how to build a program and then I incorporated the first college um, program in New York State prison system, first time ever. And I started putting gangsters through the program. What was the name of the program? The program was called um, Independent Study, Independent College Study for Prisoners. And I would incorporate it under different programs that I was running. Um, and I would bring guys through. Train them like for example, I was doing HIV uh, prevention education. Okay. And under there, you need certain courses to actually get accredited um, apprenticeship uh, certification as an HIV counseling aide. But what the catch was is that you got to have one or two college courses in order to be able to get the certification. Uh -huh. So I took my program, slid it up under there because I was the president and coordinator of the group. And I told them that I, f I have a way to get the college courses. So mm -hmm. that means that we can get the certification for these dudes who want to change their mm -hmm. lives. And that's what I did. So, and then I slowly started opening it up to a, a larger arena. And I started incorporating more courses and more classes. And then the superintendents was like, how are you doing this? 
and we're not helping you and we're not paying for it and how are you pulling this off? And when I sat down and explained it, it was like, this is ingenious. So they so, so they got on your side. It was like, this guy's he's onto something good here. Initially, they was against me, you know. Okay. Yeah, so it was like, nah, I asked for permission and I was like, could I? And they was like, nah, you're not bringing no college here. No, nah, we good. College is out. That's a wrap. But when I started like bringing it in increments for the mm. sake of the certification of this program, right? Then when Albany and all the high ups and commissioners walk around, that's when the superintendents were probably like, "Oh, this is uh, Roy Bolts here. He, he has a college program. He does HIV prevention, and this is the, what we do in this facility." You know, politics, of course, you know what I mean, absolutely. And then eventually, you know, they just let it run and it grew and it grew and it grew. So wherever I went, I was trying to do that for different groups. So when you got there, how long you was in that prison? Uh, well, I didn't do it only in one prison. I did it in different yeah, prisons That's what I want to well. know. I want to see if you, if you accomplished everything on in one prison or no. Yeah, nah. I, I okay. mean, when it, was, when it was myself alone, it, or I was in different prisons until I reached that point of a four-year degree because they didn't have a master's degree program with the exception of Sing Sing that has the theological seminary program. So they wouldn't allow me to go to Sing Sing because I had too much time. They said, you're a risk. Mm. You max A material. Max A means that you're the highest level threat in the state crime-wise. Okay. You know, so Sing Sing is considered a max B. That's oh. one level down. So they said, you can't go. So I felt trapped. And I was like, wow, I can't even continue my education. I'm trying to do something positive. They said, you can't go. Wow. Then I found out, okay, I can do it on my own. And that's mm. when I snatched up two master's degrees on my own. You know, and once I snatched that up, I had said, "All right, why well, stop here?" And then I went for the. So you doctorate. did. So you did. So you did the. You got your two masters on your own. Yeah. To correspond. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And when I snatched up the two master's degrees, I said, "All right, I don't want to stop here. I'm trying to leave a legacy. I'm trying to make sure that it's, I leave a mark. So when people come through, I can set the bar high. And this is where you should go. All you shorties and little dudes coming through, you know, don't settle." Because they say about maybe, I think, 58% of the prison population throughout the country actually come in with less than a high school education. Mm. So that means that the dudes are actually coming in and they dumb down. They want to stay dumbed down. And ignorance breed a lot of violence and nonsense. Right. So the best thing you can do is educate. And it's kind of... Mm. Kind of funny too, because the, the the college, you know, the statistics say that the higher your college degree, the lesser the chances that you will recidivate and you will come back to prison, and mm. then they snatch college. Mm. You know what I mean? And the recidivism rate remains like about sixty percent around the country. Right. So my goal was to say, okay, this is a mark that I want to leave. Let me do this college thing. And I decided to educate myself to the highest degree in order to do that. So when they come, they can't say, oh, this is one of these ignorant. They can say, no, he came from the street and he got the highest level education that we can offer. Mm. And he put them together and now he's saving lives. And that's what my plan was. So what, what, what else are you accomplished while you was in prison? Okay. Um, so in addition to building a college program, I actually published a book also um, entitled Rehabilitating the Incarcerated, a Non-Traditional Solution, where I actually gave a, a glimpse inside of my mind of all the things that I did to build programs to put some of the most incorrigible individuals through, you know, um, because the level of education I was going to and the programs I was building, it commanded a certain amount of respect from the, the toughest guy 
to the squarest, scariest guy. Right. You know, and that type of respect, I wanted to keep it to get the attention of the prison population so they can change their lives. So what I did is I built a self-improvement program also because uh, it was called the Resurrection Study Group that I came through that Eddie Ellis ran when I was younger. Right. So I took that paradigm that changed my life and I actually shaped it up, polished it, and then I incorporated it inside of a program mm. that I was running called um, Character Research. And what I would do is every joint that I went to, I would actually try to pull individuals in and teach them five particular areas. And this is what Yale University was trying to tap into also when I was speaking to them. Right. So it was spiritual enhancement, um, personal development, leadership, prison problem solving, and community development. Because what I come to find is that most dudes don't even know how to do the politics inside of their neighborhoods. Mm. They don't know nothing about the assembly men or the assembly women. They don't know who their senators are. They don't know how the laws are passed. They don't know how to tell their mothers how to vote. They don't mm. know assembly districts, senatorial districts. And so I wanted to teach it to them. But I didn't want to teach and go over their heads. I wanted to teach in a language that they can understand. Of course. So I said, I'm going to make this simple for y'all. I went up and I got it. Now I'm coming down to speak to you and bring it to you. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is just be receptive. But I said the first thing we should do is do spiritual enhancement because if you don't get inside your heart and in your soul and then correct that, mm. all of everything else is for naught. Mm. So let's go inside. And then I built a healthy respect of different religions and belief systems between a lot of the different prisoners in there because that caused wars in prison. Right. You know, so I wanted to get them on a plane like you don't have to kill each other because of your belief system. You know, right. let God have the final answer, uh, final discussion on that. Right here, we're human beings right here, and we in the struggle, let's struggle together. Right. Then after that, we did our personal development, you know, the type of language, the type of way, the way you wear your clothes, how you mm. smell, hygiene. Some dudes don't know how to bathe, you know, mm. haircuts and staying clean and presentable and expanding your vocabulary and the way you think. And then we did leadership. So I said, some of you might not be leaders. If you're not leaders, at least know who to follow. Right. Know how to pick good leaders, mm. not oppressive dudes that can ruin your life and get you killed. Right. You know, so we would go through that. And then we did prison problem solving because some dudes will kill you and they go from zero to 100 over a meal. Right. I can want to eat with you and then want to eat with him. And then they like, oh, he ate with him instead of eating with me. Yeah. Ah, it's on. You know, and then before you know it, somebody's trying to hurt you. Right. Why does this happen? Mm. You know, where do we get these norms and these ethics from? You know, how did this occur? This is something that we need to correct because it's an abnormal behavior. It's an antisocial behavior. Right. You know, so I will go into that. Prison problem solving. How do we prevent killing and hurting one another? How do we prevent rights and yard over nonsense? And right. then we will go into community development, the politics and social and economical and political plight of people who might be impoverished and how they can understand it and explain it to their families. And I always tell them when I start the groups, I'm not going to sit here with no hypotheticals and I'm not going to sit here and give you something that's too theoretical that's go over your head. When right. we finish, you'll be able to get on the phone with your mother and say, Ma, do you know your senatorial district? Mm. This is the number. You're from Cyprus. You'll be able to share that fucking knowledge. Right. You know what I mean? And then, y'all want good time? This is what you do. You mm -hmm. want good time and we should get up out of here? This is how you get it. Learn who your lawmakers are. Have your family start doing petitions and then find out what your district is. Make mm. sure that they're representing up in Albany and representing your district appropriately and carrying the views of your family. And then after that, they'll pass laws that will be complementary to our lives. Mm. But meanwhile, if you're going to just keep playing for crumbs and keep shooting mm -hmm. from the hip with a Derringer right. and think you're doing something, you're going to stay stuck and you're going to always keep going down. You're never going to grow. Right, you'll never grow. And your community don't grow. 
and those in your community don't grow, and it's just stay poor, and you're not holding the lawmakers accountable, so on and so forth. So you was so you started helping brothers out. What as far as like what law library as well? You was doing you was helping people get home. Well, um, most of the time, what I did is I was doing those groups so they can leave with some type of skill. Mm. And they can get employment once they leave prison, like for like the HIV prevention education program. That's if I can get the certification for you, that means you could come out here, tap into one of these organizations that's dealing with the HIV plight, and say, "Look, I got this certification in this particular program in this facility. These are my skills. Right. Here's the proof that I did it under the Department of Labor Apprenticeship Program. Right. Could I get some employment?" And a lot of times, these guys will get an employment when they come out, you mm-hmm. know. But inside, outside of probably a couple of vocational classes and so on and so forth, there's really not many skills imparted to individuals. Mm. And when you come out and you don't have a GED and you don't have no college degree, because America's about that paper. Absolutely. You say you know this, show it to me on paper. You know, mm-hmm. you can't show it, you're done. So I was trying to give them something and document it. And I was coming up with ideas to give them different uh, evaluation forms and all type of stuff as they move along. And they would come out and they would get employment. The other individuals who like to stay in the law library and hope against hope, whenever I was able to impart information to them, though I didn't work in the law library, I will always try to impart because my skill and my skill set and my time and experience forced me to learn 44010s, CPL 44010s, and 44020s, and 39050s, and habeas corpus, and all that type, which are different petitions that individuals can submit to the court in order to be able to get some time ty- some type of time reduction. Mm. And what happened is over time, I actually had learned those things, and I would impart them to individuals, you know, if they asked me. You right. know, but usually I left that up to the legal beagles in the law library because I believe that you got to work from different angles in order to be able to get different things accomplished. You know, and that was my flavor right there. So, accomplishing all these, uh, 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 you know, all these good things in, in prison and doing all these things that, that, that would actually helping yourself and helping everybody else, making it easier for everybody, because that's that's what it is. It's about lack of education. You know, saying people get frustrated. You know, some, a lot of people don't no education, so it's like let's turn it to violence. Let's turn it to something else. Yeah. So, you did thirty one years. Yeah. And how you got out? Okay. So, <clears throat> for all of the years that I actually was doing this pro- uh, program building and getting guys together, every prison I went to, I built up a reputation. Mm. And um, I always walk one walk. You know, you can't, I'm not going to be ambivalent and act funny with him and then act funny, funny with you. And, uh, and you're going to see me kissing up to administrators and, you know, talking down to dudes. It was always one walk. I respect the weakest. And I respect the strongest. Mm. And when the strongest was wrong, I had enough strength and backbone to tell them when they're wrong. Right. You know, yeah, okay, you the bully on the block, but why you got to slap him? You don't have to slap him. What you put your hands on him for? And then, right. yeah, you right, Josh. You right. You right. All right, man. All right. You know, yeah. so I would take that and use that as a conduit to actually start to bring them in to change their lives mm-hmm. and then change the lives of the young ones looking up to them. Right. So word got out. So now dudes are starting to go home because years is passing. And when they come home, they're getting powerful. Some of them getting involved in different organizations as directors, mm-hmm. assistant directors, or what so have you. And they're bringing the, rep- the reputation mm-hmm. that I established inside, outside. And when they come outside, they're telling other people that they're connecting with. And they're telling politicians, 
you know, and they telling heavy hitters and people that can make a difference. Right. So I had an uh, individual that was a friend of mine. His name is Pete Rock. Um, and he actually had traveled from another prison and followed me when I got transferred. And he told me, yo, I think you should put in for clemency. And I was like, put in for clemency? I don't even meet the criteria. You got to have like one or two years away from the parole to even go, you know, and have half the time in. Like, <laughs> he's like, shit. I got 44 more years to do. Like, well, you know, he's like, nah, you don't understand. I think you really need to put this thing in. Like, And, and I'm like, nah, you bugging. He said, I'm telling you, nobody in New York State did what you did. You need... And he's from Cyprus. He told you, know I mean, so you know, he's uh, from the rough and tumble with me. You know okay, what I mean? Like okay. I'm from Brooklyn, but he's from, and he's my man, Boricua. He's my man. Like he's a, he's a, he's dear to me. Right. So he's trying to talk me into it every day when we go in the industry to program. He said, "I'm telling you, I'm telling you." And then a dude who left and went home. Actually, he walked me here tonight and just dropped me off and kept moving. And he said, "Yo," I called him. He said. I think you need to try to put in for this clemency thing. I'm looking at the criteria, and there's a clause in there that says, in exceptional cases, the governor will be receptive to grant clemency mm-hmm. only for exceptional cases. So you don't have to meet the criteria. Okay, so then you was like, okay. And I said, but I don't meet the criteria. And he said, listen to what I'm saying, the clause. And I submitted. And here I am sitting in front of you now. So what happened is... That's what I'm talking about. A lot of... <laughs> nah, I got to give it to you, man. Fuck that. Thank you. Nah, it's a blessing. Go and um, what happened is I put it in, and I swear it's a process that I would never wish on anyone. I mean, everybody wants freedom, but I can't begin to tell you the grind that I was in. I mean, I had guys inside that was working against me. I didn't even know. You know, I mean, it was crazy. It was so unreal. People that I thought that was really for me, they were against me. Mm-hmm. People who on the outside didn't even want to sign a letter. I mean, but by the grace of God, you know, things worked out. And I got a homie named Paz inside, Paul Clark. He's my, he's my man. He said, let me tell you something. If God says it's for you, nobody can be against you. He said, so don't be scared. Absolutely. You, you know, you got it. If it's for you, you got it. And then a momentum swell came. And it's all because of Pete Rock from Cyprus. Uh, a swell came. I don't know where it came from, but different elements in the governor's office got wind of, of my name. Um, and I kept coming up with innovations. I would mm. go to sleep at night and things would wake me up. Mm. And I would jump up and write down notes and call home, tell my wife, you got to do this. You gotta. She's like, another one. I said, just follow my lead. I'm feeling something. And... I had, like, for instance, at some point, I had took my dissertation. and I don't know where this came from, but I know it's God. I'm just sleeping, and I got up one night, and something said, send a dissertation to the governor. I'm like, send my dissertation. Come on, this dude got a million different pieces of paper to read. What am I? And when I got out and I met with the governor's team, because I see them now, they tell me. That's what broke us. Wow. They said that was one of the, everything else was like add-on. That right there... Broke us. That really we, made we us. got him. Yeah, when I sent that dissertation yeah. in, they were like, "What, what is that?" that, that okay, know. so the dissertation is a point inside of the doctorate degree when you're getting ready to conclude your degree that you got to do a thesis. That means okay. that you are like I did mine's on secondary education for those who are incarcerated, showing the importance of college and so on and so forth. Right. Why it should come back into the system, the different statistics mm-hmm. behind it, gotcha. how good it is, and and you have to argue your thesis between different scholars. Also, 
So I was in the process of putting it together, and when I got the idea, I had put it in an envelope, and I sent it, certified mail, and sent it to the governor's office. My family sent it to the governor's office, and one of the um, uh, power heavy hitters up there actually had snatched it, because now they're telling me, I didn't know this inside, mm. snatched it, and one of the secretaries is like, this guy right here, he just sent his dissertation. It was like, And one of the power hitters said, did you just say dissertation? He's like, yeah, look at the, and they was like, let me get that. And he looked at it and said, what? And got on the phone, called mm. down to Docs, because Docs blocked me. This is how I'm telling you God is working, mm. you know. Because Docs said, no. Nah. They started sending letters out saying he's not eligible. No, nah, he can't. He can't. We're not letting him go. And, it was like, and, and the governor's office called down and said, send me his paperwork up here. Who told you that he's not eligible? We're the ones that decide that. And then it was off to the races after that. Wow. You know, I mean, it just, and everything behind it, all of the individuals that went home and became directors and organizations and stuff like that, they got on board, different directors, dudes who went home and actually um, started working under them. Mm. They brought my name and said, yo, we got to pull him out. You can't leave him in there. This dude is a phenomenon. You can't mm. leave him in. And they start, and everybody jumped on board. I mean, I got a, uh, my sister was on the internet doing petitions. Um, I had paper petitions from different neighborhoods in the city and upstate everywhere. Um, politicians were sending me um, letters. Uh, I mean, everybody just mm. got on board. You know, people from that I even hear from in a, like 20, 30 years, they were chiming in. Saying, everybody reaching out. Everybody. I mean, I couldn't even control it. What a blessing. And all of a sudden, um, on the day that it went down, I called home and me and my wife had found a friend that was connected. And I was on the phone and she was like, they just called me and told me you're in the top five right now. It's going down right now. Like, you in the top five. She said, baby, you in the top five. I said, all right, get a grip. Be easy. Don't make me panic. Just be easy. Yeah. She was like, no, but you don't understand. You in the, all of these, there's 990-something petitions that go up there. You in the top five right now in front of the governor. And I was like, oh, man. So we keep talking on the phone. And I said, all right, they're going to close the yard. I got to go. And I hung up the phone. And I went inside. And when I went inside of my cell and the cell bars closed, everybody's cells closed, mine's opened back up. And that's when I knew. I said, I got it. I got it. And I stuck my head out the cell and they say, put your greens on and come down to the front of the prison. And they walked me up there. And you know, when the prison is on lockdown, during shift change, you know, only right. two people move. Right. Those who got to be smuggled out because somebody getting ready to kill them <laughs> or somebody that's really giving some information. True. So they moving me and I said, this better be good because I don't do the sh- move me around yeah. when the jail yeah. shut yeah. down. Yeah. Shut down. Yeah. The and, and so they moved me to the front and the first deputy superintendent came out and said, I got a message for you from the superintendent and I got to read this to you verbatim. And he pulled me out to the side by the package room and he says... Governor of New York State says that you've been granted clemency. You'll be released in the next 30 days. And I was like, yeah! And I just jumped up. And then the officers came out, and they was watching, and they was looking like, oh, shoot. And then I stuck my hand out to shake the depth hand. And, and he said, okay, I'm going to shake your hand, too. And he said, congratulations. And I went back. And how I know that it was something more spiritual going on is because when I got back to the cell, I turned on the radio, because I like listening to these Christian songs sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. And they give a quote for the day. And as soon as my gate closed, they said, here's the quote for the day from Isaiah 43, 18, 19. 
I am doing a new thing now. Mm. Can you feel it? I'm moving like streams in the desert. All things from the, the old shall pass, and now I'm doing something new. I hope you can comprehend it. And that made a chill round that run down my because I knew it was God speaking to me. Of course. It's not a doubt. I got 44 years. This is the first time in New York State history this has ever happened. Mm. And I said, that was God telling me, I'm the one who got you. Everybody worked against you. They said you had 44 years. They put you away so you can die in prison. And how many cold defenders you had? Five. And they all still in jail? No. One died. Oh, okay. Um, another got deported. Deported. Uh, and one came out with me, and two still are inside. Okay. The other one that came out with you, how you came out? He came out the same way because he was 18 years old like me when the crime took place. And he actually did have half his time in though, because I had got sentenced to more. Yeah. But because of the eighteen year old thing, which is a big thing inside the country right now. Right. In fact, they say in New York State, they have one thousand approximately one thousand one hundred and eighty nine people incarcerated who are nineteen and under. And now they're paying attention because they're finding out that the frontal lobe of the human brain is undeveloped in those who are in their teens. Mm. And even like I was telling um, one of my co-defendants that are older, I told them that they even saying that it's, it, went, it goes into the 20s. And I said, and you were in your 20s, mm. early 20s. So because uh, I did heavy research on that and that's inside of my dissertation as well. Right. So um, that age thing is going throughout the country. And that was one of the things that the governor said, that, like, how do you do this to an 18-year-old child? True. You know, you certain things you can't, you can't do to children, you know? I mean, there was no criminal history. Um, they were first-time felons. They were babies. They were in their teens. I mean, like, how do you do this? Like, you, right. and look at look at the accomplishments, like the doctorate, the two master's degrees, the, the programs he's been building, his reputation precedes him. Every superintendent, every commissioner that came into office, they heard of him. They know. And then he said, nah, I'm pulling him out. And they pulled both of us out. Oh, so he got it at the same time you got it. At the chose. same time. Did he put the paperwork in the same time, or how that this medicine? This? I don't even know exactly what he did because he did it from another angle. And again, okay. here we go with the spiritual thing and the God thing because the lawyer, which that, is all good, yeah, which is real good. <laughs> God is said. good for yeah. real. My lawyer that came to me said, "I'm here because I keep hearing your name in society." I heard it in three places at three different gatherings. I don't think that's a coincidence that I keep hearing your name. It's like somebody wants me to come and get you out. Right. So I'm here to come and get you out. I don't want no money, but I want to get you free because you were a child. And this is too much time. And at the same time, he was also working with my co-defendant. And that, I didn't know that until I, he took my case and he right. told me. I get it. And I said, so you doing both? He said, I know this is a long shot. But I'm going to try to get both of you out. How many other uh, cold offenders you have left in prison? Two. And how old they was when they went to prison? One was 31, 30 or 31, and the other one was 22. Okay, so they still in jail. They ain't get no, they didn't get what you got, clemency. They, they no, they didn't get clemency. Um, yeah, actually... A lot of dudes used to look down at me and say, not my co-defendants, co though, or just in general. They would look down and be like, yo, you should spend more time in the law library. But a lot of people tell me I've always been gifted with foresight that nobody else can see. 
Right. And for some reason, something deep down inside told me that education, being the first one to be educated out of prison, you're going to be the one. Right. And so I kept doing leaps and bounds and everything that I did. And and that's exactly how I got out. You know, a lot of dudes go to the law library trying, they trying, they trying, they trying, they trying. And not for nothing, the courts don't really respect that uh, pro se uh, litigant type of stuff. You know, you got to have some dough and get a top-notch attorney. Sometimes they, it lands and it hit and it worked, but most of the time it doesn't. But, you know, guys need hope anyway. Right. So you don't want to take that away from them. So are you are you actually, are you helping your cold defense, the ones that's in jail? Are you helping them or me? Are they getting like... What, are you helping them because you got you you did your thing. So, with your experience, do you think they have a chance on getting out? You know, with affidavits, with with the same way you went. Do you think it, it'll work for them? Or well, what happened is, um, uh, I actually had told one of them to give me two promises that he want me to keep as I walk out. The other one had just so happened just left me. Okay. And left the facility, so I didn't get a chance to offer him two promises because I'm always trying to be a man of my word. That's the type of person I am. Right. So the, he told me, the one that stayed told me, you know, if you can just get me a lawyer to help me with clemency, I'll appreciate that. And if you can get me some information, you know, concerning the case, I will appreciate that. So I wasn't able to get the information, but I did send my attorney to him. And I and I pleaded with my attorney, this is my co-defendant, I need you to help him so on and so forth. And the other one that left, I didn't get a chance to offer him two promises, but I knew that, you know, he wants to get out. I know that. Of so, course, anybody wants yeah, to get out. You know out. what I'm saying? So I, so what I did is um, I had went to the lawyer and I said, I need you to speak to him. He said, as a matter of fact, I spoke to his daughter and his families and I was telling them that this is going to be an uphill battle here, but I'm going to see if I can make room. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, whew. All right. So at least I got them two out of the way. Because if nothing else worked, I probably can't do money, sneakers, and all that type stuff. Or whatever. Right. But an attorney holds the key. Right. So at least you can see that I followed up. Mm-hmm. And I did try to give you the key. But all the while that I was down, I used to always tell them, that like, I'm telling you, this is the route here. All you got to do is just change mm-hmm. your soul and help others' lives. And, mm-hmm. and, and something good got to come. You right. know? But everybody else picks their way of trying to get out. And of course. You know, that's what everybody do. But... Um, I do believe that it could be an uphill battle for them mm-hmm. um, um, because, one, they were older. Um, and I think that if they can get the innovation, even though I know that's a gift that I have, but you got to get the innovation to try to actually do something and stand outside of the box. Don't do what everybody else is doing, mm-hmm. you know, and then you probably can hit it because... You know, I, I'm finding all this out from the governor's team now that right. I made it by the skin of my teeth. You know what I mean? But once I cracked the door open mm. through my innovation, they said that the floods, floodgates just flew open and everything came. Because it was like, who is this guy? Because right. it was so much accomplishment, so much being done over the years. And they couldn't see it because nobody would let them would open it up. Right. But at this juncture right here, once I got the door cracked, so that's what I, w- I would tell to my uh, code of fitness. That's what I would say to my code of fitness. You got to be innovative. You got to do something very creative. If you do everything the same way that everybody else is doing it, you get the same results. That's why there's 990-something that go up, and you only probably get 20 out of that. And out of that 20 or 30, 75% is usually guys who have nonviolent crimes. Right. Because when we got it, it was only like maybe— So they got a nonviolent crime, or they they got— No, they considered violent crimes. Okay. And what happens is— 
when we came through, I think it was only like maybe six or seven of us that were had violent crimes that actually got it. Everybody else, mm-hmm. which is like 22 or 23 other people, if I, if I recall correctly, they had non-valid crimes, selling drugs, right, right, I got you know, you. or having marijuana on a person or something like that. So that was a phenomenal uh, event right there to see those guys with that type of violence and having like murder and having robbery right. or having weapons on them or mm-hmm. sticking up or armed robbery, stuff like that. That was like, wow, you know, but... All of the things that they did have in common, this is what I was trying to note so I can tell like my co-defendants and other friends that I want to try to get out. The thing that they had in common was, one, they kept programming during the whole bid. Two, they had some form of college, all of them. Mm. You know, even if it was just an associate's degree. Right. They had some form of college, you know. And then comes the other stuff. How much violence, how much um, uh, remorse for the victims, and, and, you know, all of that other stuff comes behind mm-hmm. it. You I know? got you. But they're looking at certain things first and foremost, you know. Yeah. So it's a pattern. So you put you there for them. Yeah, without a doubt. That's, that's the key. The key yeah. is to help each other out. Yeah, without so, a doubt. So, you know, you out. Let's try to get the next person out, especially if they if they if they went to jail with you. So yeah, it's a great thing. Without um, I wanted to ask y'all how you feel about um prison um uh reform. Prison reform. Wow, that's a good question. Um, actually, uh, my dream would probably be to actually go across the country and advocate for those who are young that are incarcerated because the youth don't really have a voice. Mm-hmm. And what I do know is that I, uh, there's a certain form of politics involved when it comes to the youth, and it's not fair. It's not balanced. Mm. And if I can speak to legislators or different judges or judiciary panels or whatever about what youth go through mm-hmm. and how to actually deal with the youth and different conduits that can create for the youth to actually come out instead of throwing them in there for the rest of their lives, that would be my dream come Absolutely. true. Because I think prison reform actually is lacking. Um, I think this is what Yale University was actually trying to tap into when they had me come and do the presentation as well. Because how does a prisoner inside actually build a program that can turn the lives around of hardened criminals, mm. but he hasn't went to the prestigious criminology uh, universities? Right. You know, what did he learn? What did he know? What did he find out? And I think prison reform is so rigid and so constricted mm-hmm. that it kind of defeats the purpose because the rehabilitative element is not really rehabilitative, which is something that I actually had put inside of the book that I self-published also. Okay. There's more of a punitive element, mm. a retribution element. You know, you did this, you will do this time, and you will stay in it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And like I told an officer one time when we were speaking, I said, there's no coincidence. Like, there are people with color of color who are in there in large amounts like are you paying attention to this like people of color don't make up the majority inside of the country mm-hmm. but yet they make up the majority in prisons are you paying attention to like because mm. sometimes the officers seem like they're blind you know yeah, and, of and 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 he kind of like sat there and he's like yeah i could say that because he was arguing the point with me about black lives matter um black lives matter movements and stuff and what is this what i'm not walking around to my white lives you know matter and right. so we got into a discussion and um, I was trying to point out to him that can't you see that the prison reformation concept is not doing what it's supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Guys are recidivating at a high rate. They're going out and coming back in. 
Why are they going out and coming back in? And this can't be corrected. What is the loophole? What right. are we missing? Right. So prison reform definitely needs to be shaped up. It needs to be shaped up in a way that's very, very, very incredible and a credible way it should be shaped up. So with that being said, uh, one last question. Would, um, you know, this show is about, it's for the youth. You know, we never had a voice. Just like you said, the youth don't have a voice. This is what this platform is about, is the dog of the yard. This is what this base is based on. So with that being said, what kind of message would you give to the youth? Whoa. You know, um, on anything. Okay. I would always tell the youth to try to step outside of the norm of what all their friends are trying to do. And when you hear shows like this, pay attention. If you mm -hmm. don't like to read or whatever, pay attention to some politics sometime. You know, listen to some things that can educate you because it turns the way that you think into a very profound mannerism and way that you might behave ultimately. It's very important to kind of like step out. Hip-hop is good. Don't get it twisted. You know, we can do hip-hop, but hip-hop is not going to put bread on the table. Hip-hop is going not going to necessarily make you be a better father. You know, hip-hop is not going to be that conduit that you can use to change lives in your community all the time, you know, sometimes hip hop can do that because there have been movements that hip hop has actually pioneered right. and actually made some moves in the hood. But a lot of the times it's not that type of party. So sometimes you got to break off. Like I like my hip hop and stuff like that, but I also know that I got to learn about the politics and the voting and the uh, uh, legislators and lawmakers. And I got to know what's going on in my hood, of my course. community, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I got to learn that. And if you are one of those type of individuals that like to read, then pick up books, man. Read some books that you know that can really impact your life in a way that can kind of like reshape your way of thinking, which is really important. So read, listen to politics. Um, don't do everything that everybody is doing the same way. You know what I mean? And sober up. You don't need to be high. You know Absolutely. what I mean? You don't need to be high and intoxicated and drugged up while all of this stuff is going on in the world. Mm -hmm. One of the things that hit me hard is that I've got so much knowledge about the world from Eddie Ellis that it almost made me bug out. Like, it was just too much because I'm just from Brooklyn. I'm thinking the planet is Brooklyn. You know what I mean? That's it. Like, nothing else to talk about. Brooklyn is the planet. And yeah, yeah. when I realized that there are a some economic world. forces, man, and there's apartheid in South Africa, and and that the um the London, England, their, the, their dollar and their currency is up and and higher than the, the value of the dollar in the United States, and how this currency flow and how stocks move, and you can invest in Nike instead of buying Nike, you can invest in Timberland instead of buying. Mm -hmm. and make money from it. I was like, what the hell is this? And it was so much knowledge. It was, The wealth of knowledge was so powerful that I thought I was going to lose my mind because I said, you idiot, you've been bamboozled. <laughs> you've been bamboozled and you just lost your life and you stuck on stupid mm. and now it's too late because you jammed up. That killed my soul, man. I feel you. You know, I mean, that killed, because there's so many ways to make money other than hurting people of and course. getting caught up for these little petty crimes over and over again. And when you learned it, and I learned it, when I learned it, it was too late. In my eyes, it was like, this is too late. And then I said, nah, it's not too late. Give it to the kids. Give it to the adults who think like kids. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Feed them. Feed them. And I think that's why the gangsters always stay still in my groups. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I always tell them, I said, yo, I respect it. You're yeah. a thug. I respect it. I don't agree with it. 
but I respect it because you wouldn't know good without bad. Right. And you wouldn't know bad without good. That's the law of the universe. You got to have different things that are in existence. They have opposites. You know what I mean? Wet, dry, hot, cold, you know, good, bad. I said, but for the thugs, if you're not ready to change, move on over and make some room for those guys that want to change their lives and here to get something from me, man. And I respect it. You keep Mm -hmm. doing, get your consequences and hold it down. Don't cry later. Because right. I'm here as a messenger to say something to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when I start speaking directly to them, they kind of like sit sit up, you know, because they respect it. You know, and I'm not going to talk all because I got the degrees on my talk. I always tell them I'm not going to pop my collar and become anal retentive and use these big words longer than 125th Street. I said, I'm going to speak in a language that you can understand. Yeah, you can comprehend, of yeah, course. Yeah, you know what I mean? And we're going to travel if you want to travel with me. And then I'll talk to them, you know, and I, and they appreciate that because there's somebody in the criminal justice system that's not talking to them in a language that they can understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it can touch their souls. I had a dude that was a, a gang leader just before I got home in one of my groups. And he started coming to the group and everything. And at the end of the group, I always tell them, give me your evaluation because I can always learn. I don't know everything. Right. And this is how I improve. So when I sat there and he started speaking, it went around the whole class. They gave their input. And when it went to him, he took off his fly glasses because he got these fly gold rim glasses, you know, put them on the table. And the dude started crying. And he said, I'm 35 years old. And I sat in your class for 24 weeks, six months. And you said some things to me that were never said to me and made me believe in God, never believed in God before. And here I am sitting before you. And he started crying. Everybody was telling him, yo, take this slow, take. Mm-hmm. And, I, and this is a gangster. Like, this is a dude yeah. who go to yard, snap his fingers, and bloodshed is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it was something in his soul that was touched. And that's when I, I said, I arrived. That's when I knew. You know, and I never pat myself on the back. you were doing the job. I knew, yeah, that I'm completing yeah. the mission. Of course. Because it's about the people. It's not about me. It's not about saying, sounding pretty. It's not about my ego. It's not. It's about the people. And when he cried, I said, I moved something in him. And he's going to carry this with him for the rest of his life. Mm. And no matter what goes on, he's going to carry this. And that's exactly it. He's home now, and he's trying to get in contact with me and everything. That's cool. And, 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 and it's just fulfilling the seed that you can actually change the lives of individuals in that manner. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a gun, it wasn't money, it wasn't no girls, it yeah. was a soul searching. Absolutely. And it was an interaction between the souls. And that's the gift that I think that God blessed me with that is fulfilling and it fills me up because that's the goal and that's the objective. That's what's up, man. That's that's that that you know what? That was a great motherfucking interview, man. Appreciate having you, man. <laughs> you hear me? Nah, for real. I love the I love the whole vibe. I love the whole positivity and all that. I want to thank all my fans, all my peoples out there that have been supporting the shows since they've been out. We're gonna hit you with that heat a week, Monday, four o'clock. So just do what you gotta do. Subscribe. You know what I'm saying? To support your boy. But those that have been doing it, I want to thank everybody. I hope that y'all really enjoyed that. Roy Jossie's second interview. The brother was a very educated brother that really worked hard and never gave up on his dream, and that was to come home. Shout out to him. You already know, Brooklyn. You already know. Let's give it up. Every week, we're going to give you that heat, and we're going to deliver that message to all y'all youngest. Y'all already know. Stay focused, man. Stay out of jail, man. It's your boy, Pistol, man. Blah.